0: what a percentage of the time was it de- was it always d de- design or were, were sometimes was bartage given a little you know category theory uh, oh I should I-
1: always try to sneak in some category theory <laughs> always but i learned nothing so-
0: Welcome to ADSP, the podcast episode 69, recorded on February 15th, 2022. My name is Connor, and today with my co host Bryce, we finish part two of our two part interview with Andre Alexandrescu. Oh,
1: speaking of uh, Bryce, you mentioned this like, I don't think I'm the best in every meeting or something like that, right? <laughs> you, yeah, you mentioned yes. that. That's, It's kind of funny. So I have this interview question. So when I interview people, I was just, uh, I I worked for Symmetry Investments, uh, this um, fintech company. And, you know, I had this interview question. In a meeting, like let's, let's say you're at work in a meeting, what do you want to be in terms of skill? Do you want to be the best, the worst or somewhere in the middle? Right?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, it's actually interesting because I think I have two different answers. Um, it used to be that when, when I was solely an individual contributor, my answer was I always want to be in the room with people that are smarter than me. Um, and usually if I'm having like a, a typical meeting with like multiple people, um, you know, um, that is usually a meeting where like I want to be there with people that are going to educate me in some way. Um, but since I've moved into more of a leadership Role, Um, and I've I've always sort of over the years I've always had some amount some number of people that I've mentored in some way shape or form. But I do a lot more of it these days. Um, I have learned that it is incredible. Like I think one of the highest value things that I do is have one-on-one meetings with um, uh, like the various members of my team and the other teams that I work with, especially the um, uh, the less senior members. Um, or the, you know, the members that I'm, I'm trying to encourage them to, to take on more responsibility and to grow into a, into a bigger role. And I've started realizing that, you know, sometimes like I, I can have like a 30 or an hour, a 30 minute or an hour long meeting with somebody. And like, I can say one thing and that will completely change like what they like how they're going to f- operate for the, for the next week. And like, it'll lead to an, a much better huge outcome. Impact. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Um, so it's, it's, you know, what would you answer, uh, Connor?
0: I would always prefer to be the least intelligent person in the room because then like one of my biggest things that I'm after in life is like learning. I'm very curious and I always want to be learning. And if you're the least intelligent, that doesn't mean you're unintelligent. It just means relative to the people in the room. Right, right. That being said, like, I always want to be at a place where like I have the context and the tribal knowledge because there's like, there's, you know... Regardless of what your job title is, it's like those two different states where you're feeling like you're an imposter and people are assuming that you have a certain level of knowledge, but it's like it's not that you don't have that knowledge it's that you can't contribute in it's like I always have this metaphor of when you're trying to learn something, especially a programming language, you start out and it's like this planet or something that you can't wrap your hands around, and then at a certain point, you sort of feel like you can palm it like a basketball, and then at a certain point you feel like you can get your whole mind around it. And like languages like, you know, lisps are super easy to like, you know, uh, you know, scheme. You can learn in a day or two and then you feel like you're a god, uh, you know, operating that that language. But C++, I never feel like, you know, supposedly I'm an expert in the language, but like I never feel like I fully have my hands wrapped around it because it's, there's, it's just too large. It's changing too often. So
1: well, Maybe Bjarne th- doesn't have his hands, his hands around it or her. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, I mean famously, <laughs> what does he give himself? A six or seven out of 10 or something? Um, that there's yeah. some quote. And then we've we've had this conversation offline that like even though you may feel like a one or two out of ten, um, that doesn't make you not an expert. Cause like relative to yeah. you know, the C plus plus engineers at large. So I guess I guess my point here is less than being like the smartest or the least intelligent relative to the folks in the room, I always want to feel like I have like I'm not missing out on the context or the tribal knowledge or like the assumed knowledge because That's when you're really able to like ask the questions and like feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah, know what to ask.
1: Yeah. yeah. And
0: like that, there's always like a certain period of time when you join a company. And that's like, that's one of the hardest things. Like when I switched from my first company that I worked for four or five years at, you get to this place where you have all that knowledge. And you're the person in the room that knows the questions to ask and the things to bring up. And then when you switch to a new company, you're giving up all of that tribal knowledge. Um, and in some companies, like some of it is more transferable if it's like, you know, standard C++ and you're going to another company. But at my first company, it was all just this uh, very, very narrow sort of actuarial, you know, domain knowledge that is just, you know, all of that expertise just goes poof and you're not really bringing it. And it's hard to like go from a place where you're kind of, you know, the expert or one of the experts in the room and then being to the person that needs to go back to square, you know, not zero, but Mm -hmm. I I do follow the Chris Latner philosophy, though, that he's, he's always, you know, trying to surround him with people that know way more about their top, you know, their domain than he does, because then he can just leech off of them.
1: I love these answers. Um, And, you know, Bryce mentioned the whole mentoring uh, aspect, and that's wonderful. And the whole like sharing, and you know, this is like really a nice thing, like, this this one thing you can say that completely change like, you know, Dostoevsky manner it changes completely the life of the, the You know the the person you're mentoring and I think that's that's uh, that's awesome um, And uh, Connor you mentioned this like I want to you know I want to have be somewhere in the middle kind of have uh, the tribal knowledge But also have people to learn from well you folks you you would be shocked at how many folks walk into that interview and ask them that this question and they answer i want to be the best in every meeting <laughs> and uh, you know i, I you know it, it's there's no in a way there's no wrong answer to this question uh, but i think uh, they wouldn't realize just how boring that life would be it definitely would mean they're in the wrong employment they're in the wrong place because you don't want to be in a place where you're the best at everything and have nobody to learn from anything you know so definitely it's um it's not a good uh it's not a good place to be in the long term so you know that uh, also harkens back to the whole uh discussion of humility and uh, you know an, a necessary quality of uh, of a programmer so good stuff you folks um hey i want to discuss politics <laughs> <laughs> Are you all right
0: here we go. Here we go, folks. This is where our PG-13 podcast is going to have an explicit rating for uh, right. henceforth. Yeah, um. Take your kids
1: to sleep upstairs, uh, you know, <laughs> close the door and let's talk politics. So, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to kind of ask you what, you know, who you voted for, or whatever. And, um, I, I'm going I'm to say I'm desperately trying to stay centrist. But centrist, being in a center seems to be nowadays, nobody believes you. Like, if you talk to someone on either side, they're going to assume you're on the bad side and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I, I just I, do, I don't want to discuss politics per se as much as the impact of politics on uh, on the new uh, generation of programmers. Because I have this feeling that uh, there may be some uh, crosstalk, some influence. And he, here's, here's my take. It is my opinion that in the last... Um, Few years, let's say, um, and not only in the in the states, but globally, there's been um, an increasing um, ge- relativization of the truth, an increasing, you know, actually in the whole like the alternative facts, like this, the fact that this phrase was even was even authored on like in public, the 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 sheer fact that uh, somebody with political acumen. Mentioned there's alternate there's facts and there's alternative facts and the sheer fact that this phrase got got even said um, Is a huge deal for for sciences for everything that's hard science Everything that is programming and everything that's in engineering and I wonder somebody who grows up in such an environment in which you know the truth is uh, pretty much you can you you can you can work it out. You can work out your own truth if you don't if you don't like the the you know whatever the real facts indicate. Um, I fear that there's going to be a problem with like in you know five years from now, and all of these kids uh, who actually missed a lot of school, and that's you know yet another issue, right? They missed a lot of school for you know for a variety of reasons uh, related to COVID, right? Missed a lot of school, missed a lot of hard science preparation. And grew in this environment where actually uh, truth is uh, is not an absolute, um, you know, is, is not an absolute reference. And how do you get to program a computer where actually, if you if one bit is out of place, it's kind of the goes it goes berserk, right? There's no absolutely no, nothing. There's no telling what's going to happen if you one bit is in the wrong place, right? So, you know, I just wanted to ask you about the, what's your take about this?
2: Well, I think it's an interesting question. I I think that, um, yeah, I definitely think the, the current generation that's had some amount of, like, their schooling where they've been, like, d- during the pandemic, like there's going to be, we're going to see yeah. that five, ten years from now. But yeah. what, one th- I think one interesting thing has changed since when Connor and I were in school, which, is, and m- maybe it's even not the case for Connor, but when I was in, uh, like, school before college, like all my schooling before college, there was never any corset like programming courses. It was not an option. Like I went to some, I I went to school in Connecticut, which is a very wealthy part of the United States. Um, I went to a private middle school. That was like a science focused middle school. I went to a magnet school. That was a science focused um, uh, uh, high high school, but no coding. Whereas, and, and I, every year I run the C++ Now student volunteer program. And, I started noticing more and more over the years uh, that people had um, coding experience younger and younger in the classroom, um, and I think a lot of programmers of Connor and I's age and and older um, uh, were either self-taught or they, they started um, mm-hmm. programming because uh, you know a parent had a computer at home. Um, but I think programmers that are younger than us, more and more of them had exposure at a younger and younger age, um, uh, in some form of more structured, you know, education. And I I wonder whether that's going to, you know, how that will change um, the field. And I wonder. I think that might even be more impactful than, you know, the the, the pandemic experience. Although obviously the pandemic experience is pretty impactful for everybody. Yeah, I don't know. What, what do you think, Connor?
1: So the
0: question is, how is like the relative truthiness of society going to impact like software engineers? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm not really like a philosopher. I think that the polarized society that we live, like, you know, there's sort of articles that'll come out and say that like we're missing the fact that like we live in the best sort of yeah, that too. time in yeah. history. Like if you look at crime rates, and you look at, you know, education, and etc, just in general, like quality of life metrics that are measured by the WHO and NIH, or I don't know, whatever the organizations are that in general, we've been on an uptrend in terms of like the average quality of living across the globe. But due to whatever social networks, you know, Twitter, Facebook, etc, and the polarization of politics and whatnot. Sometimes doesn't seem like that. And I guess I just like I am very lucky and I think privileged that I grew up in a country and in a family that like taught critical thinking and that at a certain like my dad was a journalist. And, you know, we learned at some point that like whenever you consume anything, you need to know who wrote it, you know, what it was funded by. And, uh, these days, like, I think that's super important that, you know, when you read something or consume something, it's, it's good to know, like, you know, it starts off like in, you know, in history that like, when was it written? That seems like a super trivial thing, but a lot of times you don't, do people look at the C++ article? Was it written in 2003 or was it written in, you know, (laughs) 2018? That's going to heavily influence the best practices that you're, you're reading. And anyways, I just, I don't think I have anything really important to say. It's just that like, I, I hope that. You know, across the globe, we teach youth and just everyone to not do your own research or find your own facts, but just like know where stuff is coming from and like what the agenda is behind it. Because these days, whether it's BuzzFeed and just trying to suck you in to to read as, you know, many top, top 10 things, or, you know, you won't believe what happened next and just know that like the goal of that website is just to keep you keep your eyes glued to the page page as long as possible is just like know the context and think critically about that stuff. I will say in general, I do think... Everyone should be trying to be more welcoming. We should be trying to build communities and spaces where everyone feels welcome. Like if you don't understand where someone's coming from, you don't need to understand. You just need to want to be a decent person and like build a space where no matter how someone identifies or, you know, w- the background is that everyone feels welcome. And I don't know. I think that's that's something that gets lost in the the politics war. Uh,
1: yeah, exactly. So this kind of community building and, and stuff. Goes against the whole polarization tendency that uh, that we've been having as of late. So I'm just you know I'm I'm just a bit um, preoccupied about this uh, this matter. You know, um, and the whole like critical thinking, which is essential nowadays, but now it's, it's it became bastardized by you know the the whole do your research kind of thing. Is like yeah, you can find anything on the internet if you, yeah. you know, anything you want on the uh, subject uh, support for anything you 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 may, may be thinking of so the whole dear research is is a uh, is a uh, you know is a clever um twist on actually know the source of uh, of your information and you know it's it's kind of a bummer that uh, things like that are happening and you know i'm i'm just a bit worried that um uh, programming which is this uh, absolutely the ultimate um deterministic you know the ultimate deterministic um Métier, a job to have, and kind of attitude to have. Uh, I wonder how somebody who who's growing up in this environment would be inclined to do uh, to take uh, take on programming. I hope, I hope, of course, uh, there's gonna be a uh, there's gonna be a the taunt of the uh, current situation. But uh, right now, I'm I'm just a bit worried that. Um, uh, the political climate is uh, really unfavorable to learning programs, uh, just to put it like in a, in a, in a kind of uh, direct way, something that is uh, rather subtle.
2: That's fascinating. I would have never, never thought of that. But, you know, I, I think you may not be, you, you, may, you may be right. Um, you know, it, it and, I, and I think potentially, potentially not just not just programming, but also, you know, just the, you know, STEM fields in general
1: exactly anything anything that's uh kind of hard science for example like uh, I, I remember there's this article there's a there's a percentage in the in a, in an article that was kind of a bad number i forgot it was um 17 I, I forgot it it was a number that was like a year like the year of i forgot it was a bad year and it appeared as a percent you know 17 point something and it became a year that slavery, something bad happened that year. I forgot the mm. details, but essentially they had to, they sent an excuse saying, Oh, we're sorry. The percentage came to be this offensive number. A number should not be offensive folks. A number is a number. And that's the, the end of it. Like, yeah, maybe it's a coincidence, but you shouldn't apologize for, well, we kind of divided like uh, the, how many, whatever, by how many, whatever. And it came to this percentage number and, uh, oh, we're so sorry. It came to a bad number. There shouldn't be bad numbers and that kind of stuff. Should, we shouldn't ban numbers. So anyway. So uh, what else is up, Connor?
2: Well, well, well. But so I got one more thing on the on the on, on that last topic. So so you know, I think it is true that 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 programming is one of the the more deterministic fields. But amusingly, in my experience, computer science research and especially sort of HPC academia. Um, tends to lack the um, the rigor in in tre- dealing with data and statistics that other fields um, have. Like if you if you go, if you go read, a Bryce, paper, I swear
1: you never you never read an article on medicine then, because medicine like terrible at statistics. They just don't do statistics well at all.
2: But but at least they have like but at, at least on, they report course. like sample sizes, right? Like I've read yeah. so many CS papers where there's like a performance graph and there's like no indication of like the sample sizes or like, oh, like yeah, no discussion yeah. of of uh, you know the statistical treatment of the data at all, and it just drives me crazy whenever whenever I see I benchmarks yeah, like agree.
1: that. I agree. Some 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 stats are bad. But again, I gotta say, there are there are fields that also like uh, in finance, the math is sometimes like really like real bad. Maybe this just, is like
2: a gra- the grass is always greener thing where like we think it's bad here, but <laughs> right. it's actually just yeah. bad everywhere.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, it may as well.
2: Yeah. All right, so so Connor, I thought I thought you wanted to get some some some
1: some stories. Yeah, you from want the to drive this somewhere, yeah.
0: What are the odds that we could get uh podcast panel? with eric you uh walter and bartaj and just like we wouldn't even we wouldn't even i mean we'd i don't even know what we introduce i think we would just sit there and be like go (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: actually panels are like uh yeah they're fun and um you'll never get out of things to say like people just you know this is gonna talk forever whenever i've been in a panel we started with the notion that oh what are we gonna say for one hour in this panel and it ended like oh guys it's like two hours now so we should go <laughs> so it always was like that so a panel would be fun so I, I you know just to uh mention a bit of uh what eric uh you know was reminiscing about it was um we had like some uh uh, infamous uh, in Bryce's words uh, <laughs> meetings <laughs> um, at uh, a coffee shop in Kirkland which uh, has since um, closed uh, and it was um, essentially it was we were with meet with talk shop and um, we would design the deep programming language that was that was it and it, these meetings would last for literally like 10 hours <laughs> we were like uh again infamous among the folks at that coffee shop because we we had this table we'd always go at the same table and we'd always like uh talk loudly and everything and whatnot we'd be very enthusiastic about things and probably you know the folks at the coffee shop would you know would be happy with the sales or whatever because we would drink coffee nonstop and occasionally eat there and stuff uh, but, um, during those meetings, a lot of the D language uh, has been designed and, um, you know, a, a lot of, uh, features that, um, I think are very interesting were uh, were designed in those, uh, during those, uh, those outings. You would
2: have, you would have 10 hour meetings at this
0: call, like on, yes. on weekdays, on weekends. Who were at
1: these 10 hour meetings? It was Saturdays and or Sundays, every weekend for months. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So who was, was there? Like, Uh, Walter, Bartosz, Eric, myself, Brad Roberts. And occasionally, yeah. And uh, there's um, uh, David Held. uh, I think he's uh, with Expedia now. So uh, it was a motley crew and uh, a nice gang. And uh, we'd had a lot of fun. And sometimes the meetings would go through, like, we'd we'd eat dinner. So, you know, we'd meet in the morning for coffee. And it goes and goes and goes. It's like, oh, it's dinner time. We should eat now. So (laughs) we'd go have dinner. So um, I remember a lot of... um, A lot of uh, the modern features were designed and improved and, you know, notably things like the, you know, the constant system, uh, which is uh, interesting because it's transitive. So in C++, when you say const uh, on a pointer, it's const applies to the pointer, but not to the data that the pointer points to. So it's not, it doesn't go all the way, right? so in uh, indeed it's actually a rabbit hole so if you if you put constant on something it goes all the way through by following pointers and pointers to pointers and pointers to pointers pointers, to pointers etc so it's uh it's really kind of um a transitive, right so there are interesting consequences to that and, and that kind of stuff and uh that feature was designed during those meetings uh we would uh, uh and it took it took us a while uh the downside was that there was little formalization so there, there's like little record there's no records of those meetings having occurred and there's like uh there's a lot of um ex- uh, you know design by excitement if you wish <laughs> 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 uh as opposed to a rigorous process
0: damn what a percentage of the time was it de- was it always de design or were, were sometimes was bartage given a little you know, category theory... Uh, oh, Bartash would
1: always try to sneak in some category theory. <laughs> always. But I learned nothing. So I, I can't speak to that. Maybe Bartash could... Maybe his perception is that like he always talked about that, but my perception is he always tried to talk about that <laughs> without much uh, success. <laughs> but, you know, the, clearly the vast majority was was the on the design of the D language. That was definitely uh, the lion's share of, uh, of the time.
0: Interesting. So that's... Because that's the thing is, I don't think Eric ever mentioned not or mentioned. Obviously, the D language came up, but he never said that you know he w- helped design parts or. Oh, was he did. In...
1: He did, but you know maybe his perception is different because like that elephant, right? So there's these discussions by the table, and you would discuss shop, and you maybe you discuss things like you know how do you do templates or how do you know how do you do generate code and how do you do this or how do you do that. And <clears throat> to him, maybe he was uh, thinking of uh, talking shop in general, speaking of generalities. Or maybe speaking of how C does it, but to Walter it was, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna um, take this experience into the D-language. So for for Walter, clearly it was about the D-language. For Eric it was about more general things. For Bartosz, it was about category theory, you know, and that kind of stuff.
2: Do do you remember Andre giving, I think, a keynote at or a talk at C now about ranges and D?
1: Yeah, was that the uh, infamous uh, Iterators must go?
2: Yeah, yeah. No. Me, me.
1: <laughs> yeah, that 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 should have been it. 2009, I think. So wait, no, conference? it wouldn't, it it wouldn't this, have been t- it wouldn't have
2: been 2009. It would have been I think you're thinking
0: coming. of Ali.
2: No, no, no. It was an Andre talk. It was an Andre talk, I think.
0: Was an I
1: Andre think. talk? Yeah. Well, it, it there's like this, um, uh, this talk of, that uh, had the title Iterators Must Go, which discussed ranges versus iterators and yeah. made the argument that ranges have uh, have advantages. Um, and, you know, I, as I mentioned in the, in the NVIDIA meeting, uh, this was clickbait. I mean, it was uh, I used clickbait before it was cool, right? So Iterators Must Go, it was a bit of an exaggeration. So clearly, you know, there's a lot of good about iterators. Um, but the talk was mainly about what if you used a range and not the iterator as the lowest level abstraction possible? So you had the range, Assume you have like ranges in C++ but you never want to use iterators. And how far can you go? It turns out you can go as far as you want. So that, that was the gist of the talk. It turns out ranges are enough uh, expressive, uh, if, if expressive and wise, wise to, uh, to design a, a large template library. That should be the talk you're referring to, Bryce, right?
2: I'm not sure. I'll have to find it, and we'll talk about it the next time. But maybe right. it wasn't you. I thought it was you, but that was like 10 years ago. So who knows Who knows how well I remember things.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of uh, – I don't actually remember all the talks because I've – I mean all the names of the talks because I've seen so many of them. Um, did you? I can't remember if you gave a talk by the same name of your – hypothetical book which i'm not actually sure if it was a joke or yeah yeah, fastware um is that actually is that a book that's ever gonna
1: it's not a book and you know you know why i'll tell you exactly why because i figured there, in in this day and age there should be no fastware without some parallel programming cuda style Mm. there cannot be you can't you can't say i'm gonna do faster on the cpu now you know you know you you two know why but i'm gonna explain it for the for the sake of uh, your listeners uh, nowadays, if you look at any computer, even the laptop I'm facing right now, or, you know, desktop computer, even a phone, the vast majority of the computing power is not in the CPU. It's not in there. It's like it's 10% of the power is there. How can I write a book about 10% of the power? Right? And claim that's fastware. That's what you need to, you know, it's gotta be. So in a way, the, uh, the third reason and the most, um, uh the most dark of all reasons i joined nvidia for was to learn cuda and parallel programming and how to use the gpu for computing and then to kind of have enough uh understanding and material for writing fastware the way the way it should be written and bryce i'm not sure if you even remember in 2019 i you and i met in the hallways yes, at cppcon yeah. and i discussed fastware with you as a possible co-author and you know that's still something that is uh could be in the books I mean, it's uh, it would be great to work yeah. together on this, on this stuff. So, um, uh, FastWare is—I is have—I have ideas for ten percent of FastWare because that's—that's that's how important the, the CPU this is. This book's
2: gonna be like your your life. You, you you literally you took a job to learn for this book.
1: That, I'm not kidding, and this is actually not an exaggeration. So, definitely, FastWare should be written. It needs to be written—a book on how to write fast software because we're getting to the point where. You know the molecules are not gonna get smaller. Yeah. You know those crystals in the silicon are not getting smaller. The light is not getting faster, and we gotta make do with what the hell we have, and that's what we have. And we need to solve all of all of those good problems that we discussed in the the beginning—the self-driving and the climate and all that good stuff. We should solve with the the means we have. Go ahead, Bryce.
2: Well, one of the reasons why I like the title "Fastware" is because um, Connor and I got it into got into this discussion on uh, earlier episodes of the podcast about speed versus efficiency and hmm. you know fast really sort of fast is vague enough that it 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 captures yep. what you want like yep. it meets it meets its its requirements in terms of performance right. uh, and the uh, the weird you know the weird unintuitive thing about parallel programming is that what is efficient is not often uh, the fastest thing to do
1: yeah, well, why don't you give? Oh, can you give a simple example for our listeners? Because I think this, uh, this is uh, exactly as you said. It's not intuitive. It's not an intuitive topic. Um, and, uh,
2: for for a lot of algorithms, uh, it is. Like the way that you paralyze the algorithm might re- repl- might do more work than it needs to. Yeah, um, exactly. But that's necessary to allow it to be parallelized. Um, yeah. Like the uh, um, a lot of the parallel versions of scan algorithms um, yep. are like inefficient. They they do more evaluations than the serial versions exactly. do. But it doesn't it doesn't matter if it's if it's the difference between happening in pari- parallel versus happening in serial. Um, because... yeah exactly
1: so I, I think I think that's a very uh, a very important point um for example like in first approximation um faster is going to be more power efficient because you complete the the work faster but uh there's uh, for example like the simplest example that somebody without uh, CUDA experience could uh, could master is like there's um speculation in a traditional CPU right the speculation and uh, if you do a lot of speculation it doesn't turn out to be what you want it? You throw it. You throw the results away, but you do more computation, right? Uh, but what you're saying is actually the whole algorithm is redesigned in a way that uh, does more work, but that work is to set up more parallelism, and yeah. you still finish faster, but you do you do consume a bit more power. Yeah. So yeah. So uh, these, this, I'm I'm glad we got to this uh, this point.
2: Well, it's I, I think most computing tends to fall into like one of two different end goals. Um, either one you're trying to do something in the most power efficient way possible, or two, yeah. you're trying to get um, a, an answer as quickly as possible. M- you know, minimize you gotta, the time.
1: You got a break, break to not go over that pedestrian. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> land the plane. Yes, <laughs> land the airplane.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.